You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Thompson. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Ingen Jorgensen, Brenda Sirioni, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormain.com. Love, Maine Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where every body is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. Jessica Jordan was 34 when she was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer. Her mother passed away soon after she finished radiation. To honor her mother's memory, Jessica completed the Try for a Cure in July of 2017, and she was this year's top fundraiser, breaking her goal by $44,000. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it was a pretty amazing experience. It's interesting that you were able to turn something that really was, for most people, and I'm sure for you also, a very difficult experience, two things that were very difficult, breast cancer and your mother passing away, into something um, important and meaningful in a fairly short period of time. Yeah, it was a a short period of time. It was only a couple months after my mom passed um, that I was going through actually some emails of hers, and somehow I thought of um, the Try for a Care, and I remembered that I had signed up for it. And one of the last things my mom and I had talked about was trying to raise money for cancer research. And I was in such, I mean, getting through cancer and then being hit by losing somebody so important to me. I had thought cancer was one of the toughest things I'd ever gone through. Um, And my mom used to always say, you know, things can always be worse. And I felt like I was faced all of a sudden with something that was felt so much worse. Um, I actually missed the days of just dealing with chemo because that seemed easier than what I was faced with, with losing my mom so suddenly. Um, I really needed some kind of outlet. I knew my family needed some kind of outlet and we were in a really bad place. Um, I was, I said to my sister, I don't have anything left to deal with this kind of, um, enormous loss. I'm physically and emotionally exhausted and I felt like I just wanted to give up because I had been so positive through treatment and through my whole journey with cancer, and now my mom's not here. So I went through a couple of months of being really, really in a dark place and really having a hard time. Um, And I looked through some of my mom's emails and found that I had gotten into the Try for a Cure. And all of a sudden, I just, I didn't even really plan it. I just thought, you know what, I'll sign up and I'll worry about the training and everything later. I don't know how I'm going to do that. <laughs> because the last time I had run, I had gone into the hospital. I would run three miles, and I had kind of gone too hard. And so I was kind of nervous about just the training aspect of it. But I figured I'd start start training. It would get me out, um, and I'd worry about that later. And, and you, we were able to write a page about what our inspiration was for doing the race. And I just started writing about my mom and about how wonderful our relationship was and why I wanted to raise money for this cause and I wanted to do it 
in honor of her and feel like I was doing it with her. And I came home and I said to my husband, I said, I'm going to do the Try for a Cure this year. I just signed up. And he said, okay, <laughs> good for you. That's great. And I said, and I looked into who the, the, you know, the person that raised the most donations last year. And I said, it was $20,000. So I want to raise $20,001. And he looked at me and I don't know if I gave him a look of like, that's it, I'm doing it. Because he looked at me kind of like, okay, I don't know about this. <laughs> and he's been so supportive. And he just said, I said, no, I, I want to do it. And I want to do it this year. And he said, okay. And that was it. Um, I started seeing, I, I told my story and I immediately started seeing money being raised and I started to feel something again. I started to feel that positivity again that I had kind of, you know, really lost after my mom passed. Did it feel as if somebody had moved the finish line on you? <laughs> That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it was two months after I finished radiation that my mom passed away. And I literally remember, I remember the day that she passed. I remember walking out to see Connor, and we were watching one of the playoff football games. And it was the new year. It was two weeks into the new year. It was January 14th, and I was finally ready to say, that's it. With the past, my mom always said, let's move forward. We put enough towards cancer. Let's move forward. And I was ready to be done with that. Like you said, I was ready. that I crossed that finish line. I was ready to be done. I was ready to move forward. And um, the day she passed, I remember looking at my husband and we kind of gave each other this smile. And I'll never forget it because it was almost like a moment that we had where oh, everything's okay now. We got through all of that. And literally that same moment, my cousin walked in to tell me that, that something had happened to my mother. And it all started all over again. So yeah, it's been brutal, brutally hard. Really, really, um, two of the toughest things I think you could ever deal with, literally simultaneously. And they were both so unexpected. That's the crazy part. And I was 34 when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, very healthy, young, wasn't genetic. I have no idea where it came from. And my mom passed of a pulmonary embolism. So neither of these made sense. I think it's human nature to kind of want to feel like if I hadn't done this, then this wouldn't have happened. If only I had done this differently, then maybe I wouldn't have gotten cancer, you know, or, or there's some kind of way to rationalize somebody passing like that. And what this has proven is that we just have no control of our lives. My mom used to always say, you never know what tomorrow's gonna bring. And she taught me so many lessons, but I think one of the biggest lessons she taught me was that, how tr you know, how true that really is. I mean, I was worried about myself for a year. She was worried about me for a year. And now she's not here. So cancer or no cancer, none of us have any certainty of what tomorrow brings. And that's kind of how I choose to live my life now is not in fear, but knowing that today I'm lucky. This is all still very fresh. I mean, this. so your mother passed away in January of 2017. Yes. So within the last year, it hasn't yes. even been a year as you and I are talking. And mm -hmm. then you yourself, you were diagnosed just a little, about two years ago. Yeah, almost exactly two years ago, February and, 24th. And that doesn't even really feel, I mean, I, I, I know when I was diagnosed with cancer that 
it, the time immediately afterwards, it kind of all sped up because you're just doing all the stuff you need to do. And, and then you, you put your head up and all of a sudden you look around and, and six months has passed or a year has passed. Yes. And, and so this for you is all so, it's still so present. Yeah, it honestly, time is a weird thing. It really is. Um, it sometimes being diagnosed with cancer seems like it was 100 years ago, like that was a different life, that was a different period. You start to forget, and you probably experience this too, you start to forget kind of some of those things that you went through. In other ways, it seems like it was just three seconds ago. It's the same thing with my, my mom. Um, I don't think that, I think that these things too are both such shocking things that it takes you so long just to even realize that they happened. I don't know if I've really even fully realized that these two things have really happened. I wake up every morning and I have to kind of say, yep, you had cancer, that, that happened, and yet mom's not here, that's true. Um, and I have to kind of remind myself that these things actually happened. And I don't even feel like I know, you know, I've said this a few times, I don't feel like I really remember who I was before all of this. It changes you so profoundly. I just, I feel like I look at that person with the long hair and, you know, just completely, you know, no idea what cancer's like or what real loss is like. And I almost want to just pat her on the back and say, it's okay. You know, like, it's just, it changes you so profoundly that I just look at everything differently now. But at the same time, it, I really don't know if a lot of this has really even hit me. I'm just now starting to feel like in the last couple of weeks, more emotion I was in such shock that now I'm starting to feel more emotion when I think about my mother because I'm really starting to realize that she's not with us. Um, and I've never experienced anything like that before. Where time just, it's just a crazy thing. You know, it's interesting because I know going through my own breast cancer, part of what I needed to do was to be positive and to be strong and to move forward in a direction of healing. And I think when you're doing that, it almost shuts down some of the necessary processes of, I don't know, grieving the person you once were. Mm-hmm. And it Absolutely. Was, and I was just, you know, this was for me, I can't remember how many years now, but not that long ago, maybe three, four. And the other day, I actually started to tear up thinking about my breast cancer. I'm like, wow, where did that come from? Yeah. So it's interesting that you can you can think that you have dealt with stuff, and then it's there. It's it just is. like below the surface. It is. And I, yeah, right after I was diagnosed, I started seeing a therapist. And thank gosh, because everything got so much crazier. I'm so glad I've had her. But I said to her at one point, I said, you know, I'm worried about myself because I'm not crying. I'm not emotional. Like, what is that? Why am I not crying every single day? Why am I not curled up in a ball? You know, because that's what I would have thought if something like this happened to me, let alone both things. And what I've realized is that you can feel so many different emotions and be grieving so, so much. But it doesn't mean that you're necessarily crying all the time. It, you can grieve in so many different ways, and that's just one emotion. Um, but I do find that it is still, you know, there are times where something will happen, something will spark an emotion. I didn't even, it'll be the strangest thing that I wouldn't have expected. And suddenly I'm so emotional. And something that you would think would make you really emotional, I'm fine. 
So I don't know if it's kind of a coping mechanism, but it's there. It just comes out in these odd, odd times. Um, but I do think that it's it's a great point that you had. I think that we don't know. Everything happens so fast when you're diagnosed. You don't have the time to even think about mourning who you were because you're you're trying to figure out what to do for the next thing and how to get through this next period. And you're in such a state of just trying to fix the situation that you never think about the fact that I just ended a chapter of my life. I just said goodbye to the person that I was all of those years of not having to deal with this. Because I think that what a lot of people don't realize when you are diagnosed with cancer and you start to look like yourself again after treatment and you start to feel like yourself again, everybody kind of says, oh, well, you're, I think there's this mentality of, oh, you got through it. You're done with it. And I think because I, I, I've been very positive through my own diagnosis as well, I think maybe that's been, it's been forgotten that, or I didn't realize this either. To be fair, I didn't realize this before cancer, how much was involved with trying to just make sure that this doesn't happen again. But every day is, you know, I'm still taking medication. I'm still going to get blood work every three weeks. I will be on this medication for 10 years. I'm getting mammograms and MRIs and dealing with the emotional. It's the emotional piece that lasts longer than the treatment itself. And I think that once you start to look and feel like yourself, there's this sense of, oh, now everything's okay again. And it's a, I mean, it's a lifelong change. This is for the rest of my life. I will always have this on the back burner of something that I'm thinking about. What if that ache or pain isn't just an ache or pain? I think it's the getting through it mentally that ends up being the longest journey of all of it. This all happened too uh, coincidentally with around the time that you were preparing for your wedding. <laughs> yes, that's how I found it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I always say my wedding saved my life. It's kind of really crazy. Um, I was really stressed out. Connor and I got married the day after Christmas in 2015, and I wanted to start a family very soon. And I kind of laugh at that now because I thought I had this whole plan figured out, right? We're going to get married. I'm going to have kids. We're going to get a house. It's going to be, you know, one thing after another, all my ducks in a row. And um, it all changed so quickly. Two weeks, two months, excuse me, two months after we were engaged, um, I was planning the wedding and we were trying to do a really quick turnaround, eight months of planning. And I was really busy with work, so I was stressed out. And I woke up in the middle of the night feeling anxious. So I was rubbing the, st the stress out of my chest and I felt something. And it was something I never felt before. And I thought it was almost a piece of my bone because it was really, it didn't really move when I touched it. But I was also stressed out. So I thought, Jess, you know, you're anxious. This is why you're, you're doing this anyway. You know, just wake up in the morning if you still feel it, then call your doctor. Well, I woke up in the morning, I still felt it. So I called my doctor. And I remember sitting in her um, office, and I was trying to find it again. I couldn't find it. And I had this moment of thinking, oh, my gosh, you're wasting everyone's time. You don't have a time to be out here. She's going to think you're crazy because you can't even find it. And you're just anxious because, because you've got a lot going on. And she came in and I kind of apologized. I said, I'm sorry, I feel like I'm kind of overreacting. And when she felt it, that's when I started to think maybe something was, was not right. Um, I looked into, I did some research on my own and I know that you know there's benign cysts that you can have. So I thought, well, maybe that's all it is. And so I went in there, I got a mammogram and I thought that's probably all it is. And uh, when I ruled that out, 
and said they want to do a biopsy that day. I remember that was the moment that I went into the bathroom and I started to really get emotional and lose it. And I remember looking in the mirror and thinking, what if this is, what if you have cancer? What if this really is cancer? And then, as I'm sure you know, you have to wait like five to seven days to hear the results, which is the longest five to seven days of your entire life. Um, and when they called and said that it was something I needed to come in for, um, Connor and I still were under the impression that it wasn't, the way that they had said it, they didn't think it was invasive. So I didn't think it was going to be anything too bad. I thought I could just get it removed. Um, we had planned to go out to breakfast the next day after this appointment when we are thinking about where we are going to go to breakfast. And we went in there and sat down and she said, it's serious. And I said, you know, I, I, I almost said, it's, it's, and I'm sure you probably felt the same thing. It's like this beautiful music that's playing and then all of a sudden it just stops. And you hear that and it's like your whole life just goes on pause. And I said, is it breast cancer? And she said, yes. And that was, ended up being a seven hour day of MRIs and um, blood work and meeting a team that's talking to me about things that I never thought I'd be talking about and trying to figure out how to tell my family. That was the biggest thing that came to, to my mind is how do I tell my mother? How do I say cancer and not make it sound like a big deal? Like how do I, how do I say that and say, oh, don't worry about it? I'm like, is there another word for cancer that I can use? <laughs> because she worried about everything. So I really didn't know how. That was my biggest focus was how do I pull myself together and call our families and tell them not to worry when I don't have the answers for them that they're going to want right now because we still didn't know a lot. It's, I'm, it's funny that that's, that's the thing that we worry about. Yeah. That, that we worry more about how it's going to impact other people. Mm. I think that, which I think is probably fairly common, actually, especially um, among women. Yes, they're so much more worried about how this is going to impact everyone around them. Yes, than, than they are able to worry about themselves. Yep, and maybe that's a good thing. I do. I think it's a good distraction. Exactly. To be honest, exactly. Um, I didn't have time to really think about what if this is really like, ter- like how how bad could this possibly be because. I was so concerned with how to relay the information to my family and my friends who, I, God love them, I, I sent a text message to them because I couldn't call everyone and talk to them all and, and give them the time that I knew that they deserved, so I had to send a text message. I can't imagine being the other end of a text message from one of my friends saying that they have breast cancer, but, you know, it's just, it's as you know, it's so overwhelming that you can really only put so much energy into every single individual thing. And at that point, it was just me to figure out the, the game plan. Do I need chemo? Do I need radiation? Do I need a lumpectomy, a double mastectomy? What are we talking here? And those are all things that at that point I still didn't know. Well, there's a lot of processing that when you tell somebody some sort of news, they will need to do for themselves. And so if you call every person, you're going to get everybody else's process, which is completely legitimate. Yeah. But also, you need to retain a little bit of your own self to care for yourself. It's a very good point. I mean, you you need to be able to triage almost. Like, okay, I'm going to talk to these people in person. These people get a phone call. These people get a text message. Maybe these people get an email. Yes. And it's not that you don't care about all these various friends and family. You just, everybody wants to tell you how they feel about it. Right. Which is great and hard. It is hard and I feel like sometimes it can also add to your anxiety 
because certain people you tell and God love them, they get so nervous, they ask all these questions that you didn't think about. (laughs) (laughs) And the next thing you know, you're going, oh my gosh, did I have thought about that? What if that is the case? I don't know. know? Yeah. (laughs) So it kind of adds to sometimes an already anxiety, obviously an anxiety producing situation. Um, And I think that's one of the hardest things too, is not letting other people's fears and thoughts or ideas become something that you're taking on as your own because you already have so many of your own to try and to figure out <laughs> during a time like that. I think that's I, I think that that's a really that's a really important point. It, it, it might actually in some ways the fact that we have access to so much information now um, may not be the best thing because it does actually cause you to second guess yourself. And the worst thing you can do when you're trying to set up a treatment plan is second guess because there is no perfect option. No, and they don't tell you that. I mean, you never, not that anybody would ever tell you this, but I always thought that, I always had this idea that if you were diagnosed with something serious, the doctors would just say, okay, here's exactly what you need to do. So I went in there and they said that. I'm like, all right, so what exactly do I need to do? Like, just fix it. And there's no perfect recipe. It's more like, here are your options. Let me know which one you would like to move forward with. And I wasn't prepared for that. I don't think a lot of people are. Um, We're not the experts, but you have to almost become an expert and you do have to do your own research, which can be kind of a long rabbit hole to fall into because that kind of starts to address other issues that you didn't think about or other problems that might be yours or might not be or other people's one thing that I stopped getting involved in is other people writing their own stories or their own experiences because I started to be convinced that all of those were going to be my story and my experience and I couldn't really separate reality from what I thought might happen or what happened to somebody else I had to constantly say, is this my diagnosis? Is this my situation? And lots of times it wasn't. But if you if you really do, I stopped reading anything really at this point. I'm lucky enough that I have a friend who's an oncologist, so I just call her. <laughs> or I know the trusted sites to go to. But no longer do I just randomly Google something because you'll almost always find the answer that you don't want if you're looking for something and you're worried about it you're going to surely find that that's inevitably what's going to happen. So I think that's a huge point is to just kind of refrain from there's almost too much information out there now. There really is. And that really can be really hard when you're going through such a serious diagnosis. It's all of these things that we're talking about, I think, also that makes Try For a Cure so powerful because so many people are in that survivor wave of participants that you look around and you think that person went through this, that person went through this, this person went through this. Or you look at the people who are impacted by cancer in other ways and you think she has a sister, she has a mother. And it, even though you may not have exactly the same experience, it's kind of interesting to be part of that bigger group now. Absolutely. It was actually a really emotional moment, too. I did the um, the 5K for the Try for a Cure, too. Um, and I stood on the line, and I they had a thing for the survivors. And they start first. And there weren't that many of us. And everybody else is kind of supporting us, but they'd all had some kind of cancer-related you know, related story. And my friend caught up to me because she ran it with me. And I looked at her, and I said, I can't believe that I'm running in this wave. And she said, I still can't either. 
And there was just this moment of, I've always, I've been a competitive runner since I was 11 years old. And to be running along when, you know, with other women who didn't have their hair and my hair was just growing back. And now to be running on a, on a it was just a totally different experience. You know, I used to always love to support causes like this, but I had become the cause. And that was one of a really pivotal moment for me to say, oh my gosh, I'm on the other side of this now. I'm not just cheering these women on. I am one of these women. So the Try for a Cure is just, it's incredible for so many ways, not only what it raises money for, but yeah, you start to look around and you you see all of these people that have been affected in some way, shape, or form. A lot of them are young. And when I came to, to Maine and I started my treatment here, I felt like I was the only 34-year-old woman with breast cancer in Maine. And I remember saying that to a nurse. I said, am I the youngest woman in Maine to ever have breast cancer? <laughs> and she said, oh, no, that's not good that you think that. She said, you guys just don't come in at the same time. She said, there's actually quite a few of them. So we started a group where we would meet every week. And we would just talk about all the things that none of our other 34-year-old friends could talk about or could relate to and god love them they tried it wasn't that they didn't care but there's just things that happen with a diagnosis like this different side effects different ailments different emotional stressors that is not common for a young 30 year old woman to be going through and that's hard as well when you start to think why me what did i do wrong um that was one thing that i really struggled with was that i really felt almost like I almost felt like I was ashamed when I was first diagnosed because all these other women were having babies and doing all, you know, getting married, getting engaged, buying houses, doing all the things that they should be doing. And I was at home bald and going through treatment and really not recognizing myself emotionally or physically. Um, and to do that as a 34-year-old woman before you've really even started your life with someone present so many different challenges that a lot of women my age couldn't relate to. I interviewed um, Rebecca Falzano a few years ago. She's the editor-in-chief of our magazines, and she um, had lung cancer, and she was not a smoker. <sighs> and um, this was before she got married, but she went through this with her now husband, and they now have two children. And and that was something, this was before I went through cancer myself, and that was something that really struck me that, you know, this is, we all go through the standard life transitions, you know, having a partner, maybe having children, going through our careers, but none of us think at somewhere along the line, I'm going to deal with a catastrophic illness, because that somehow seems like it's going to be in the future somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's hard for me, especially because I was always aware of the different holistic things you could do for preventative medicine and kind of, you know, if you look on a sheet of paper, and this always gets me, and you look at all the things that they say, increase your risk for breast cancer. Every single one of them are one that I am on the other end. You know, eat healthy, make sure you maintain a good weight, exercise. They, they talk about, you know, turmeric and all these different vitamins you can take. All things that people would make fun of me because my friends, because they'd be like, are you drinking the turmeric tea again? And I'm like, you know, it's a, it's a cancer fighter. And this was before I got cancer. So there's just no rhyme or reason for it. And that 
can be sometimes the hardest thing. You know, you do, for me, it's hard sometimes seeing people who don't take care of themselves, who have never thought of this before, and they'll probably live to be 105. They're fine. (laughs) And so it's kind of like you feel a little slighted because you've worked your whole life to try to do the right thing. And now all of a sudden you're put into this population that nobody wants to be a part of. And you know, I always had people say during treatment, and I really appreciated them saying it, but they'd say, you're so brave to be doing this. And I'd always kind of smile a little bit and say, well, what's the alternative? <laughs> and they said, well, I don't think I could do it. And I would say, well, the will to live is pretty strong. <laughs> if they had given me another outlet or another choice, trust me, I would have gone with that. I wouldn't have done chemo and radiation. But when you're presented with a situation of this is what you have to do, you do it and somehow you get through it. And you realize that things you worried about before were really laughable things to worry about. You moved back to Maine. I did. And had a chance to spend time with your mother before she passed away really suddenly. Yes. It's kind of interesting that that worked out that way because here you are with a different life, proceeding down a different path and potentially, you know, just having the same kind of ongoing relationship with your parents that you'd always had, which was good. But you made a different choice, and it, and it gave you some really precious time. Yeah, it's really, um, that one, that part of cancer, I've said to my sister, I said, I'm actually grateful for cancer in that way. Because never in my life would I have been able to take the time off of work and been in a situation where I was relying on my mom. So I was with her for six months consistently. And we became closer and we told each other how much we loved each other and how much we cared about each other because of everything that had been going on. So ironically, when she passed, I didn't feel like there was anything I hadn't said to her because we said it all because of everything I was going through. And we spent genuine time together for six months before she passed. So I don't have any regrets in that way. And if it hadn't been for cancer, that never would have been possible. So things do have an interest. Everything in my life is so, it's one emotion coupled by the exact opposite emotion. You know, here I am, I'm so grateful to be alive. I'm so grateful that I made it through cancer, but at the same time, my mom's not here. Everything that I've been going through has this alternative feeling. And I think cancer is the same thing. I'm so angry that I got it, and I wish I had never had to go through it. But at the same time, it allowed me to be close to my mom for that period of time. It allowed us to say things together that we might not have said before. I have emails from her that she wrote to me that we wrote to each other that I I now can always have that I wouldn't have had before. Um, I've met amazing, amazing people in the community. I mean, we raised $64,000 for cancer research. There's a silver lining that can be found in every terrible situation. Um, And I do feel like with everything that I've been so upset about and that I wish hadn't happened, on the other side of it, there has been a lot of beautiful things that have come from it as well. And those are the things that I try to focus on. I think it's really important that you have raised this money for cancer research. And here's why. Because 
cancer is impacting people at a younger age. It's impacting young, healthy people, and we don't have reasons for it, and we don't have great screening tests for it. And people need to stop feeling guilty about getting something that possibly has underlying reasons that we don't know enough about yet. And the only way we're going to figure this out is by putting money into research. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is to have people like you raising the money. So it's a very important thing you've done. Thank you very much. It's been one of the most amazing experiences I've ever been a part of. Well, I appreciate your coming in and sharing your story with us. I've been speaking with Jessica Jordan, who was 34 when she was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer, and her mother passed soon after she finished radiation to, honors, to honor her mother's memory. She completed Try for a Cure last July and was that year's top fundraiser, breaking her goal by $44,000. Thank you for coming in and for all the good work you're doing. Thank you very much. It was an honor. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristel, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music are by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producers are Paul Koenig and Brittany Cost. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.